Good to see you guys this morning. Thanks for braving the snow. The drifts, the massive drifts, as you guys went outside and hitched up your sled dogs and all that. So I knew there'd be no way I could compete with last week's suit, so um, Ronald McDonald loaned me his shoes. So there we go. Um, So we've been talking about Advent, and if you're visiting with us, uh, it simply means arrival. And... It's sort of this dual thing because we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, but we also celebrate his second arrival, which has yet to happen. And so we've talked about this theme of waiting and how hard it is and how hard it is to maintain uh, all of the things that God calls us to be in the midst of this waiting. And we described waiting as this confident expectation in what God's going to do. And so just a recap of the themes again. Ooh, that's an interesting slide. Oh, there we go. Hope expectation of something promised or desired. And I'm going to also show you the scriptures that were sort of the key ones for those each week. And so the idea of hope, again, is this confident expectation that God's promised future for his relationship with humankind, it impacts like our lives on a real basis. It's not like this, this thought or this belief that's sort of out there, but it's this thing that actually is infused with how we live our lives on a daily basis as we wait for the return of our Messiah. And just to recap this, because really this scripture was kind of the one that set the tone for everything that we talked about. And I'm just going to call out the themes here. It's this blessing to God our Father and the Father of Lord Jesus Christ because he was merciful. He loved us, and so he caused us to be reborn again. We've already even talked about that. Into this living hope, and that comes through this resurrection that happened because Jesus was resurrected first, and then he led us into that same thing, and someday we will be too. And the really cool part is that we have this inheritance, this, this, uh, this life that we have ahead of us that we get to celebrate with him in eternity, and it's something that can't be touched. The scripture there, the language talks about it being guarded almost as like by a garrison of soldiers that nothing on this earth, there may, everything that you have now, you can't take any of it with you. It's all going to burn. It's all going to melt. But this cannot be touched. This cannot be uh, stained in any way. And it's waiting for us. And it's guarded by God's power. And this all happens through our faith, the salvation that we have through our faith. And we talked about that faith being something that's active. It's a verb. It's, It's not just a belief or a decision, but it's more than that. It's a belief that actually impacts the way that we live our lives. And so that's the context, really, of everything we've been talking about. The second week, we talked about peace, or that Hebrew word for it, shalom. And it's more than just people not fighting each other, right? It's more than just like a, an absence of war or conflict, which is something that there have been very few times on this planet that, that we've known, right? It's more than that, but it's actually finding our wholeness and a completeness in God. It's this deep satisfaction that we find in him. It's a mission that we have because we are also to not just be peaceful or to have peace, but we're actually supposed to bring that to others. We're supposed to pursue that on this planet until we wait for the Prince of Peace to come and kind of resolve all of this uh, to completion. And then the third week, of course, was joy. And it's a choice to boldly trust in the faithfulness of the Lord in all circumstances. As hard as that may be, it's this deep commitment that we find uh, in the Holy Spirit. And it transcends just our emotions. Because if our emotions are the thing that rule our lives, if we're, we're going to always be going this way and that way, we're always going to be torn back and forth. But when we have joy in the Holy Spirit, 
it fills us up with a true joy. It's more than happiness. It's almost related to that contentment that we find in peace and shalom as we wait for, of course, Jesus to return and bring joy to all of creation with that return. And so it's week four, our last week of Advent, and we are going to look at our theme of a black screen. No, a theme of love, right? And love is essential to what we believe. Did you know that? Right? Love is essential to what we believe. It's really, I mean, I could just stop there and we could pray, but you don't want me to do that, do you? No. Some of you are going, yeah, yeah, let's do that. The Chiefs are on today. That'd be great. No. Love is essential to what we believe. And so before we dive in, I think uh, we need to define what we mean by love. Because we talk about it all the time, right? I love this, I love that. And that's kind of the problem. And so the word love has lost meaning for us. And so I want to uh, hopefully set the record straight and give you an idea of what that's like. Are you feeling the love? Josh Holbrook doesn't love media shout right now. Go on. Whoever's next to you that you love, just give them a little hug right now. Go on. There you go. If someone's not next to you, reach out. Just tap them on the shoulder. I love you. <laughs> love. It's what it's all about, obviously. This is what happens when you depend on media for your part of your message. If I need to roll, I can just go, man. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. I was just trying to decide if I like grilled cheese or if I love grilled cheese. See, because I wouldn't die for grilled cheese, but I do think it's really scrumptious. So I guess I love it. Look, love is the new like. It just doesn't cut it anymore just to say that you like something. You have to love it. OMG, that new Leonardo DiCaprio movie? I love it. OMG, that new soap in the bathtub? I love it. OMG, that new Lady Gaga song? I love it. Paul and saying is that we have one word for love in the English language, and that word is love. Why use the same word to describe your affection for a piece of soap that you used to describe your affection for your brand new boyfriend? Jordan, haven't these last two weeks been amazing? I love you so much. That, that actually makes sense. I guess what I'm trying to say is don't use the same word that you used to describe those things to describe, say, your family or your spouse or your best friend or your god. It just doesn't make any sense, does it? I love soap, I love grilled cheese, I love Jesus Christ. Christ of Nazareth. Let me tell you, I bet Jesus is extremely happy to be on the same level as grilled cheese in your mind. Can we all just agree to default to the word like instead of saying that we love everything? Inception? Yeah, I really like that movie. Oh man, that new soap in the bathtub? I really liked it. Oh, that new Lady Gaga song? It was like Madonna and the devil had a baby and that baby would not stop crying. See, doesn't that feel a lot more honest? The word love is just so overused that it pretty much just has no meaning anymore. Which is pretty sad because the word love is the only word for love that we had. Other languages were smart and they came up with multiple words for love, but no thank you, we don't need that, we're too smart. And now look at us. Love has been trampled in the mud, desecrated, slain by the gods of 13-year-old girls that make out with 16-year-old boys that make up the cast of Teen Mom 4. But maybe that's the whole problem. Maybe we forgot what love is supposed to be in the first place. Love is a verb. It's something you actively do, not something you feel. It's something you wake up every morning and decide to be. So when someone is like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I'm falling out of love with you. What they really mean is, look, I really don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this, and you're not even that hot anymore, so we're done. 
Oh, oh man, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? You know, it's a good thing that God hasn't fallen out of love with us. What if one day we got a memo that fell from the sky and said, fell out of love, it's not you, it's me. Well, okay, it's you. Enjoy hell, God. Love is 100% completely and totally not about you. If you ever make loving someone about something that you can get out of it, you're doing it wrong. Oh, man, that sounds awful, doesn't it? Living your life to serve other people instead of just yourself. Jeez. So the next time you're about to say that you love something, don't. <laughs> you know, I think we should show some love to Josh Hurlbert, okay? The, the unsung champion of pretty much everything that happens here. So there you go. So I know that was ridiculous, but it was ridiculous for a point. It's true, right? We, do, we totally do this. In our culture, love is this word that we throw around like confetti, right? It's like, I love football, but I also love my mom, right? Or I love tacos, but I also love my kids. Or, you know what? I love it when I don't have to wait in line, but I also love my wife. You see what I mean? It's like this confusion, and we spread it around, and it just, just kind of dismi- uh, diminishes the value of the word. So then we try to use modifiers. We try to say, oh, okay, you know what? I love you a lot, right? We have to add something. Or, we say, oh, I love you so much. Or maybe it's even, you know what? I love you very much, which is more than tacos and football, but only a little bit more than coffee. See, we don't, like, you just throw the word out there and you don't have any way to measure it. And so, uh, in Hebrew, the word for love is a word called uh, ahava, right? I'm trying to get my act together here. So, I actually have another video. Two Video Sunday! (laughs) However, I'm not completely certain that the video is going to work. So, if it doesn't, I'll try to explain it to you. Josh, are we good? All right, Josh Colbert is a man. Here we go. We'll edit all this out for broadcast. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the third key word in this prayer, how Israel is called to love their God. But what does that mean? Love is a very common word in most languages, as it is in ancient Hebrew. It's pronounced ahava. It most basically refers to the kind of affection or care that one person shows another. It sometimes describes physical affection, like the king of Persia's love for Queen Esther. But there are other Hebrew words that more specifically refer to physical desire or sex. Ahava is more broad. So Abraham had Ahava for his son Isaac, that's parental love. Jonathan showed Ahava for his friend David, that would be brotherly love. In fact, a whole group of people can have Ahava for their leader, like when the Israelites showed love for their king David. Ahava can even describe loyalty between political allies, like Hiram, the king of Tyre, loved David. They had good relations, and so Hiram wanted to help David's son Solomon build the temple. These are all different kinds of affection described with the one word, Ahava. Now, all of this is helpful for understanding God's Ahava in the Old Testament. So in Deuteronomy, Moses told the Israelites, God showed affection for you. He chose you because of his Ahava for you. So God doesn't love because the Israelites earned it or deserve it. It simply originates from God's own character. He loves because he loves. 
This is why Jeremiah can say that God's love is everlasting. It has no end because it has no beginning. God's love just is an eternal fact of the universe. And God's love is not a duty. It's a genuine feeling, an affection that God experiences. This is why the prophet Hosea compares God's love for his people to a husband's ahava for his wife or to a parent showing ahava for their child. It's one of the strongest things that God feels. But that doesn't mean that God's love is just a feeling. God's love is also an action. It's something God chooses to do. Like when Moses says, because of God's ahava for your ancestors, he brought you out of Egypt with great power. God's love isn't just a sentiment, it is something God does. And so, in the Shema, Israel is called to respond to God's ahava by showing ahava in return. And just like God's love, human love is to show itself through actions. Like in Deuteronomy 10, What does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him and serve him and to keep his commands? All of these actions are centered around love. If I'm not doing them, I don't actually love God. I just say I do. Which leads to one last thing. In the Old Testament, I show my love for God by how I treat the people around me. In Deuteronomy, we read that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he shows ahava for the immigrants among you, giving them food and clothing. And so you also show ahava for the immigrant. So the people are to imitate God's ahava by showing ahava for others. This is the idea underneath the famous line, you shall ahava your neighbor as yourself. And so at the end of the day, all of this is rooted in God's own eternal ahava. Like we read in the New Testament letter of 1 John, we love because God first loved us. And that's the Hebrew word ahava. Pretty cool, huh? I, I love, there's one line in that video that really got my attention this time when I watched it. And it was just that God's love is just an, e, just an eternal fact of the universe. It's kind of cool to think about that, isn't it? That he always has been. He's always existed, and his love has always existed, even before we did. And, and that's just amazing to me. So this Hebrew word for ahava, uh, for love, ahava, it actually comes from the root word in Hebrew, which means to give. And I think that's important because it suggests that in order to love, you must also be ready to give. And I'd never known that or even thought about that in that way before. But the only reason that we have the capacity for ahava or for love is because Adonai loved us first. And so now we have this framework of reference, right, for what Jesus meant when he said that the greatest commandment is to love God. And then the second is to love others. So that's why in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, when he lays down that greatest commandment, uh, the idea there, it's all rooted in this love that God's given us, and so we should show it to other people. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, that's the greatest in the first commandment. And the second's like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. And so this verse is not only the mission statement of this church, but I believe it's the mission statement for everyone who calls themselves a believer. It, it should be just who we are and how we behave. It should come out of us. And so... Uh, the question that I ask with this, though, is, like, okay, as we explore this idea of waiting and we explore the nativity and the arrival of Jesus, how does all of this fit together? Uh, and how do we love God and we love others as we celebrate this moment? And I've been using 
the um, book of First Peter as kind of the launch pad for a lot of the themes that we've been discussing. And so back in week one, I showed you uh, that we talked about this verse. And I just want to call this out. It's in verse 3 here. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's the next line. According to his great mercy. If this were PBS right now, I'd say, this program was made possible by a generous grant from the creator of the universe and his great mercy. Thank you, right? They took the thank you off. I used to love that. It made me feel really good. Anyway, or the famous way that you probably heard this said is, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? That he gave us his son. His motivation was and is, right? Because he's continual. His motivation was and is mercy, which is unmerited favor. It's undeserved compassion for us. That's where all of the love that's available to us comes from. It comes from him. If he were not loved, we would not have the capacity to love. The fact that we are created in his image means that we were created to love, right? That's one of the aspects of who he is, and that's who we should be too. So Peter challenges us to respond to God's love and kind. He's like, listen, he's merciful. He loves you. I've shown you that. Peter goes on to talk about holiness in the verses after that and how that's an important response for us to that love. Holiness is simply living the way that God says is best. So maybe you've heard that it's about codes or it's about rules or it's about a life of no fun. That's not true. Holiness and living the way that God says best is not about codes, rules, or living a life that's just kind of a bummer all the time. Being called into holiness is being called into a deeper love relationship with the creator of the universe. Think about that for just a second. I'm going to say it again. Being called into holiness is being called into a deeper love relationship with the creator of the universe. It's cool to think that he desires that with us, that he wants to hang out with us, that he even wants to be with us. And so when we follow his word, we do that because we believe that he has our best in mind. It's a way that he shows us not only that he loves us, but how to love him and how to love other people properly. Our God, the creator of the universe, invented joy. He invented fun. He invented laughter. That's pretty cool to think about. The good kind, not the kind that makes people feel bad, right? But the kind that enriches our existence, not the kind that dilutes our character. Because we can laugh at all kinds of things that maybe aren't things that we should laugh at. But God's given us this capacity to just have joy and love in our lives. Hope, peace, joy, and love are who he is. It's almost like we should sing that song. Not just the love part, but like joy is who you are. Peace is who you are. All of those things. So I'm going to show you something here, and I'm not going to necessarily like plow through every one of these scriptures. You might want to have your phones ready because you're going to want this. But it's basically a list of just a few scriptures, okay? I mean, I could take all day to do this. But these are just a few of the scriptures that demonstrate to us the character of God. Check this out. God's eternal and enduring, Hebrews 13, 8. God is good eternally, James chapter 1, verse 17. God is the creator who does not tire. That's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. God is holy, 1 Peter 1, 15. God loves, right? John 3, 16. God is patient. That's in 2 Peter 3, 9 and Psalm 30, verse 5. And again, I want to point out that these are just a few. I mean, I could have tons of call-outs for every one of these. God is kind, Psalm 145, 17. God is a true protector, Psalm 18, verse 30. God is our teacher, John 14, verse 26. God is joyful, Psalm 30, verse 5. God is strong and righteous, Isaiah 41, 10. And if that's not enough, here we go. God is peace, Philippians 4, 7. God is dependable, Psalm 59, 
verses 10 through 17. God is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And God, of course, is love, John, or 1 John 4, 8. You're starting to get the picture, right? This is his character on display. In fact, that last one, 1 John, we're going to look at that in chapter 4. He had a lot to say about love. And this one, you're probably familiar with it, maybe in a different translation. I picked the New Living Translation because the simplicity of it, I think, is pretty amazing. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Verse 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and that he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. That's the whole story right there. Just that section of scripture. So if you're ever wondering, like if you're in a moment where you're sad or, or you, you wonder, man, God, are you even there? Look at that list of his character traits. Go back to this verse and understand how much he loves you. That's the whole story. It tells us that his very character is love. Think about that for just a second, that the very character of God. And I know, I know it's kind of weird to think about describing him in human terms, you know talking about him having feelings and those kinds of things. There's so much about him that we don't get, we don't understand. He is completely other from us. But if you think about just for a second that his character traits, like the primary one is love, that that's underneath everything he does and motivates everything that he does. It's pretty amazing. If we truly believe that, then we must also believe that we have an obligation to fully understand that great commandment that Jesus gave us, right? We need to know what that means exactly, and not only that, but how to live it out in a proper way. His love is the foundation for all these things. And his love is the foundation to share all of these things with us. He could have made this world gray. He could have given us just some kind of weird paste that we have to get out of the ground to eat. But no, he made chocolate, He made coffee, right? He like colored everything so brilliantly. You know, we could have just seen things in black and white. Sure, things would have eaten us all the time because we wouldn't have seen them in our peripheral vision. But whatever, right? He could have done that. But no, he's a wonderful God and his love is the foundation of all the stuff that he wanted to share with us. Knowing that and seeing this list of character traits and more... I don't have enough superlatives or adjectives or adverbs to fully describe who he is. I mean, we could sing these songs forever. We could read scripture forever, and it will still never be enough to even touch who he is. Just for quick context, he's the one that made that. That's the Crab Nebula. It's pretty cool, right? He also made that. You can't tell me that a hummingbird is an accident, that that type of intricate bird and then a plant that only his little tiny snout with his tongue that is half the length of his body. Did you know it wraps up around his brain and his skull? Did you know that? It's true. That he can drink out of those flowers. And he's pretty much the only one. For some more context, how about that? 
Okay? And because we can't get enough of that, how about that one? Look at that baby. How about this baby? I could show you pictures of babies all day. This is creation on display. That. I love that guy. I love all these kids. I don't even know whose kids they are. It'd be kind of weird. I'd see them in the mall and be like, dude, get away. They're all so different, but yet they're the same. It's amazing. I'm going to say it. Some of you ladies right now, your ovaries are exploding in this room. <laughs> and some of you guys just discovered that you have ovaries. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, to me, when I see things like this, I can't... I, God's good. I hope you're starting to get the picture that love is the basis for everything that we do because love is the foundation of everything that God has done. Seriously. It's the foundation of everything that he's done. So the short answer is, and this spoiler alert, it's all about love, right? Every bit of it. Submitting our lives to His way of living is this loving response that we have to this grace that the Father has just handed us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, here's what he says. I think this is good. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, because he just talked about holiness. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. In other words, lasting forever through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes here, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And here's what this is the kicker right here. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In other words, what he's saying is everything that I just told you. Verses one through 23, right? All this is the good news, everything that I just told you. So what's the good news? Here's my bill of phrase for you. Good news, your merciful and loving Father has made you sons and daughters through the life, the death, and the resurrection of His Son so that you can live in confident expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises for you. Share the completeness of peace or shalom that the Messiah brings. Allow his joy and happiness to saturate your life in every circumstance, no matter what the circumstance, to empower you to love God and love others in the way that he does. There are tons of scriptures, but all of these things are rooted in this greatest commandment, which is to love. In fact, Jesus says it this way in John's gospel. Check this out. It's chapter 13, starting with verse 34. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will they know? That we have love for one another, right? Love one another. And here's what's crazy. You know, Jesus says this, and I'm not sure that they even get it at this point. But when they look back on this, because they didn't get the plan, all of a sudden he's taken from them, and they have no idea what's going on. It's like, I didn't think it was going to be this way. I thought that you were going to, like, totally come in and, like, kick rear, man, and be the king, and it would be awesome. 
And Jesus basically saying, yeah, I'm going to do that, but it's not going to be the way that you think it's going to happen. So they take him, they kill him. In a few days, he's resurrected. And think about reading this after the fact, right? After he gives his life, that you love one another just as I've loved you, that you would give up everything for each other, that it's not just about us or ourselves or you guys, but it's about everyone. We need to love each other the way that he loved us. It's like taking that whole love your neighbor thing, right, and kicking it up a notch or two. Because earlier he said we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. And here he's saying, kind of he's saying, you need to love them better than yourself, isn't he? Wow. Thanks, Jesus. We appreciate that. Don't we? No, we don't like that. We don't like to live that out. What? To sacrifice my selfishness? But I want to do this, right? Veruca Salt. I want it now. That's definitely kicking it up a notch. So there's this great book. It's by a lady named Irene Lipson. And I just want to read you a tiny uh, quote from that. It's called The Greatest Commandment. And it's all about the Shema, which is the prayer that that video discussed earlier. Check this out. The mitzvah or the commandment to love goes beyond mere duty. Justice requires us to do no harm to others. But righteousness is more demanding. It requires us to do what is good to others. Love motivates us to want to treat other people well. Again, let me say that. Love motivates us to want to treat other people well. Not only doing, but also caring is involved. Not only physical, but also social needs are to be our concern. Our fellow man's honor, check this out. Our fellow man's honor is to be as precious to us as our own. Wow. Love takes us beyond what is easy, convenient, There's a particular act of love known as withdrawing from the line. And this means that we concede something that is rightfully ours in favor of someone whose need is greater. We are to be prepared to help others, even if the cost is sacrificial. As believers, we model the true love of our Father to this world. Jesus was the ultimate example of this in laying down his life for us to model love. Simply put, love requires more. It requires more of us. Love requires effort. Love can be messy. If you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've got a spouse, if you've got people in your life, if you have family, you all have to come from somewhere, right? You know that love can be messy and love may ask us to do things or to go places or to give things up or to sometimes even give up our dreams in order to fulfill the greater need of somebody else. And that's hard to swallow sometimes. Again, if you're a parent, you get this. But remember, God the Father is also a parent. And he gets it too. Because he gave up his son for us. So when it comes to Advent and this anticipation of Jesus, right? Our Messiah and his return. Love should change the way that we wait. Our waiting should be reflected in lives that are filled with hope, right? That are pursuing peace, that this joy that seems impossible, but that we could have in all circumstances. And it's all wrapped up in this neat, tiny little package of loving God and loving our neighbors better than ourselves. I mean, how would that be for you, for your life to look like this gift that's so amazing that everybody wants to open it up because they want to see how that works? What is inside of that person that makes that possible? It's not something we can do. 
Scripture told us earlier. It's all about his spirit in our lives, and that's how it happens. Jesus uses a story, and most of us know it, and I'm not going to retell the whole thing, but it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And the punchline of the story is basically everybody else walked by this guy that was kind of a guy that the whole world, that whole world in the Middle East had prejudice against, okay? And so there's this person that had been beaten up by robbers and they were wounded and they were on the side of the road and this guy stops to basically help him out and he puts him up in a hotel he gives the hotel keeper money he says take care of this guy whatever he needs put it on my tab and i'll take care of him jesus used that story for a purpose he used that story to demonstrate who our neighbor is because that's the question they were always asking jesus questions and usually the questions had to do with loopholes right Because Jesus was pulling this stuff all straight from the Torah. And so they're like, okay, yeah, I agree with that. Because I can't disagree with it in front of everybody here because they're all listening. However, Jesus, who is my neighbor then? Oh, we're going to get him on this one. So what does Jesus answer? The person in your path. The person that you see that needs something. That's our neighbor. Our neighbor is the person that's in our path. It's the person that we're supposed to love to life for the glory of God. It's the person that we are supposed to give whatever needs to be given to in order to preserve. Uh, It's also, here's how I should say it. It's a person that we should love to life for the glory of God and to the death of our prejudices, our policies, and our preconceived notions. And that ain't easy. The love that Jesus calls us to should impact our lives and the lives of everyone that we encounter. Because it's God's character, folks, in display. It's on display in our lives. Most of you probably think of 1 Corinthians when we talk about love. And you probably have it on a wall somewhere at your house because somebody gave it to you on a postcard when you got married or something like that, right? And so 1 Corinthians is the go-to, right? If it will pop up here. I don't like it when that doesn't happen. Here we go. Love is patient and kind. I wasn't very patient there, was I? See? Just being real, right? 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Okay, so we read this verse over and over again, and right now you're like, okay, I know it's coming. He's about to hit me in the gut and say, I need to do this. The guys are like, yeah, we hear this every men's retreat. Plot twist. I want you to think about this in a different way today. Remember earlier we established that God's character, that his very essence, who he is, is love. I'm going to read this again. And I want you to think about God in this way. Because so often, we don't. God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never ends. He wants to see that in our lives. And he hopes all of these things for us, folks. If you have a picture of a father up above that's just waiting for you to mess up, it's the wrong picture. And I'm ashamed to say that he doesn't see these things often enough in my life. This world will only know love by our example. And we're called to be the good examples, right? We're called to value the image of God that we see in every human being because every man, woman, and child on this planet is made in his image. Every man that you meet is a son of God made in his image. And the, he hopes for that man, right? Every woman that you meet is a daughter of God made in his image, and he hopes for her. When others are hurt, broken, abused, or mistreated, that should bother us. And that should motivate us to set things right. And any life, guys, man, we have a choice. Every day we can speak words of life or we can speak words of death. We can act out in restoring life to people's lives or we can act out in restoring death, whether it's a stranger on the street or our spouse or kid in our home. This is the truth that we celebrate and what we anticipate. Because for us, love is Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to wrap this up. And this is the challenge, okay? I get it. This is hard. We, we, we know these things. These are not new ideas for us. But it's so hard to take these things and to transfer them in the way that we live our lives. And so when we leave this place today, I just want to remind you, once the festivities are over and we turn over into a new year, you're all going to go back to the daily grind. You're going to go back to whatever it was before. We're going to fall back into those rhythms, and it's just going to happen. We return to normal life, and we're going to be surrounded by people that need to know this, that need to know the truth of this. We're going to be surrounded by people that have a love deficiency in their lives. We're going to be surrounded by people who have lost hope. So let us be someone who points them to the hope of a Savior. We're going to encounter people that have no peace in their lives. And right now, as I say that, I'm sure you can think of at least one person in your life that lacks peace. So let us be the people that add to their peace, right? That actually bring peace and not take away from it in their lives. With the shalom of Adonai. And we're going to come face to face with men and women who find joy to be fleeting. Who are always chasing happiness. And that chasing of happiness probably causes them to do things that may be self-destructive. Or things like, man, I don't want to be a part of that. But listen, let us be someone who can show others the lasting joy of Adonai. In the way that it blooms from our own lives. And lastly, we're going to be walking through this world next to people. Side by side with people. Chasing answers. And you know what? We may be among them. We probably are. I have questions. People who want more out of life, but they're not even sure what that is or even where to get it. So let us be someone who points to the perfect answer, right, for all of these questions. Adonai and our invitation to know him through his son, Jesus. The fact that he became like us in order to live with us so that he could rescue us. He is 
Emmanuel, God with us. Would you bow your hearts with me? God, I thank you for placing such a high value on us. It's even weird to say that. That you valued us so much that you would do so much to have us. I don't feel like I'm worth that much, but to you, we must be. That you would give up everything and pay such a price for us. You are my God and I am your child and we are all blessed. We can start there, that we're just blessed. God, it's so easy for us to say the words, I love you. We sing it in our songs, we hear it on the radio, we, it surrounds us. So God, I just want to ask you to forgive me for the times that I sing it and it's hollow. For the times that I sing it and worship God and I'm not feeling the truth of that. Or from an empty heart even. Or for the times that I say and sing those words when I don't reflect on the love of others that I have in my life or even a life that's not being lived in obedience to you to demonstrate that love. I just ask for forgiveness, God. God, you've done so much for me and for us. Again, there aren't enough words to express our thankfulness. We can't even begin to understand your forgiveness, only that it's rooted in eternal love. We thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. And so we just ask that you would grow your love in us, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, all of these things that we've heard today, that would start to blossom in our hearts, that they would become a reality and and that others would see it. In the times that we don't feel loved, God, I pray that you would just help us to be reminded that we are by you. So blessed are you, O Lord, my God, who has loved me and loved us with an everlasting love. We give thanks to God, our Savior and our Redeemer. And it's his name I pray. Amen.